Hello, friends, and welcome to Something to Talk About, a podcast where different people come together to talk about the Word of God and the various ways it applies to our lives. Today, we are pausing in our series on John for a special episode on missions. This week at FPC is Mission Week, and several of our national and international missionaries are here in town sharing with us the works of God all over the world. I'm Amber Barrett, and joining Aaron and me in conversation today are Claire Inouye and Julie Brower. So we're particularly glad to have the two of you with us today. Claire is joining us from Kenya, and Julie is joining us from Haiti and Augusta. She's got homes in both places, travels back and forth as it's safe. Ladies, we've kind of cheated. We've already had a little bit of a good time sitting around the table, getting to know one another a bit, because not all four of us actually knew each other before we sat around this table. We started the stories, but now we're going to continue the stories. We're excited to bring you all into that, listeners. And we're going to start, as we always do, with our first things first question. So you get a chance to know Claire and Julie. Our first things first question is, where's the first place you would choose to go or the first thing you would choose to do if you're given a day to be by yourself? So y'all are going to answer the question, give a brief introduction about yourself as well. And Claire, you kick us off. Okay. My name is Claire Inouye. I'm married, have my husband and two kids, which I left in Kenya. Just a little ways away. For for the very first time. And I am a Sunday school curriculum developer and half my job is in Kenya at my local church and half is in Sudan, South Sudan. So, and if I had a day to myself and I was totally organized, I would paint a picture. Ah. Do you have everything you need at home to make that happen? I do. Yeah. What kind of painting do you enjoy? Landscape, portraiture, what's your... I just have different projects that sometimes I'll see something and um, I'm like, oh, I want to try that. That's so cool. And so then I'll find something that I can kind of copy and go from that. How fun. Yeah, I'm Julie Brower. My husband Luke and I live and work in Haiti. Um, We run an organization called Hope Community Project, which is family-based care. We started out in orphan care and um, we're excited because we were able to switch some of the ministries that we do after we realized that um, we were unintentionally causing a lot of harm. Yeah, tell us more about that. Double click on that. Well, we started out in orphan care. Um, We helped build a school, an orphanage, and a clean water system. And we actually moved to Haiti after the community asked us to help them develop um, a medical clinic. My husband and I are not medical, but um, we have some administrative gifts. And so our goal was to go and set it up, and then they would take it over from there. When we got to Haiti, we realized that the orphanage was, in fact, not operating well and wasn't what we thought. Visiting three, four, five times a year was not the same experience as being there full time. We realized that all of the children but two actually had living parents, many of them around the corner, and that the orphanage was being used as a way for parents to get their kids educated. This school was supposed to be a free school for the community, and it was being used as parents were paying for their kids to go to school. So it was not an open school for the impoverished community that we were working with. It was being used by people who were able to pay for school. So there was just a lot of things going on. And after we realized that these kids had parents, and we actually found out that across Haiti and even across the world, most children living in orphanages do have parents, we just really felt convicted that we couldn't do it. Parents who love their kids and give them to orphanages that are oftentimes being funded by the American church. It's just a heartbreaking thing. I don't think it's the father's heart for families or for his children. And so we were able to switch sort of everything that we do and go ahead and, and look at what the vulnerabilities are. What what are the things that are having these parents place these kids in orphanages? And it was 
access to school, access to medical care. People just couldn't afford to do it all. And so with those same funds that we had been using to support kids living in an institution, we were able to really change our programming to family-based care. So now we work with families and we get to share the gospel that way. We get to be in relationships and in community with people and we get to see kids growing up in their own families with their own parents instead of behind cement walls. Yeah, I appreciate you sharing just how you changed course. You started one way, thinking mm-hmm. one thing, and saw something different and changed course. Yes, we have four children, um, Micah, Chloe, and Jude. They are 19, 17, and 15. And then we have Moses, who we are working on adopting from Haiti. He is almost nine years old, and many of you probably know him. He has Down syndrome and Wardenburg syndrome and has been with our family since December of 2014. Okay, so you probably do not have very many days to yourself, but if you were to have one. Yes, I do not have many days. I think I would go to, I would sit somewhere in the sun, probably the beach if possible, and I would read a book. Don't Mm -hmm. ask me what book, because I can't even tell you the last book I did read. And I would want it to be a busy beach. I like people around me, but I wouldn't want anybody else I knew there. How about that? Uh Uh-huh. That says something about your temperament. Yes. (laughs) I know people like that. All right, Erin, real quick, what would you do? I think, Julie, I I don't know you well enough. Can I come to the same beach as long as it's white sand, clear water? (laughs) I don't even have to. Mm -hmm. I mean, I would be tempted to talk to you, so you're so fun. But we could sit like a few umbrellas down. Yes. Would that be okay? I like it. Cool. Because I do like people sometimes, so (laughs) we can take breaks and chat. That's right. We could Mm -hmm. go back at night and eat our little fun snacks together at the the screen and porch it's breezy i'm feeling this yeah i think i we like can do it. that yeah i will be on the beach reading by julie okay. two umbrellas down great well i would say that i would be there painting with claire but that would be catastrophic claire <laughs> you do not want my presence or any of my help painting i will say that i i got no skills in that department you never know until that's you try right. that's okay. right all right mm-hmm. well you got to start somewhere i yeah okay well <laughs> maybe i'll do that and if i went to the beach with y'all I would sit a few umbrellas away. I would want to come talk to you. I would want to take a walk with you. And then I would want you to go back to your umbrella and let me read my book. I get that. We could share a cooler. Oh, yeah. We could share a cooler. I'm down with that. All right. Well, moving past what would we do if we had a day to ourselves, let's talk about what we do do, what y'all do in the places that you're at. So I would love to know, and Aaron would love to know, some of the things that you particularly love about the culture you minister in. That's going to help us just understand where you're at where y'all are at. And then you can incorporate in that answer what ways your interaction with that culture has caused you to be a more complete human being or um, grow in your Christian faith and how you interact as a Christian in the world. Julie, you get to kick us off. I love the sense of community that is in Haiti. It's um, a hot country. There, Most people's houses are um, pretty small and maybe only used for um, sleeping. So People do their laundry outside. They cook outside. You go to the market every day to get your food. Everybody walks everywhere. And so I just love the sense of community. And when you walk down the street, people are greeting you and you really get to know people. The hard part about that is everybody knows everybody's business (laughs) all the time. Everybody knows where my kids are. Everybody knows where everybody's kids are. Everybody knows who took a mango from a tree that wasn't theirs. But there is something really beautiful about it too. And, And I love that. I love that people do life together. For me... It's just taught me a lot about life, and I miss that here in the States. As we talked about earlier, I live on the same street with a couple different families from First Pres, and I'm so thankful for that community because it's one thing I really, really miss about Haiti is just knowing your neighbors and walking around and talking with people. Which makes sense why you'd be somebody who wouldn't mind sitting on a crowded beach with a lot of people around you. Right. Yeah, you appreciate that. Mm -hmm. What about you, Claire? 
I feel like I'm I'm part of and what and has shaped me is like two very different communities. Um, I lived for a very long time with a very poor, um, a very poor uh, Sudanese community. Like when you think poor, I just want to distinguish it. It's not poverty. It's just poor. They don't have a lot of money. But at the same time, if they can actually like grow their own food because the climate works that year, they they eat the most organic food on the planet, you mm-hmm. know, like just poor and but very hospitable and yeah, very community oriented. Everybody knows everything about themselves. But yet, on the other hand, for the last nine years, I've lived with one of the most wealthy communities in Kenya because my kids go to an international school. Uh, we go to school with uh, with a lot of wealthy Kenyans, but we also go to school with families that work in the UN or the embassies. And um, thankfully, the, the school where they go was originally established as a missionary kids school. So we pay half the tuition rate as the, the UN staff and that. But, you know, driving into the parking lot and everybody's got these big fancy vehicles and they all live in these really big expensive houses. But... In some ways, the expat community as well, they have all left home and are really looking for community as well. And so it's just very interesting at pick up when you're picking up your kids, um, who you end up talking to. And it's, it's so different. But yeah, just this sense of community in both different in both worlds, it looks a little bit different. But at the same time, people love community and so it's just being a part of those different groups of people yeah and especially when you've left your Mm -hmm. home country what's comfortable to you and you end up somewhere else and you really realize that you don't have a a lot of choices necessarily of who's going to be friends which for me um, has been such a cool thing you know we talk about like different gifts and abilities and different parts of the body but I have dear dear friends now that I, I honestly can say I probably wouldn't be friends with in my American life or prior to living overseas because you kind of take the community that's there and that you mm-hmm. can get and it really makes you be gracious to people in ways that you wouldn't and really look for people's gifts and the things that frustrated me about people I'm like but they're really good at this and I had to do that in ways that I don't have to here. Mm. I can choose to hang out with the people that I naturally am drawn to or like. I think just thinking about being a fuller um, human and a lot of the last, my last 15 years out there has just been processing hardship and suffering. Not because I suffer. I don't. I, I, I really don't. But watching my Sudanese church live through just a, a life where they cannot get a break. They're either the government's doing something or the host government where their refugees are, are doing nothing or the environment has just vastly changed and so they're either flooded or it's not raining at the right time for like their subsistence crops looking at that from the outside and I think now if I could go in which I hope to um, soon one day to reconnect with them is just be asking them how are you getting through this like ask asking them like why how and the questions about how they are processing through all of this spiritually Mm -hmm. and um and what keeps them going. And and it's been hard because there's things that really challenge me about it. And because I think that I can be a very fair weather Christian, 
everything's going fine. And so, yeah, I'm fine. I'm positive. I can, I can keep going. Yeah, there's things that happen, but I can push through that. But if I lived in a situation where everything was a struggle, absolutely everything. I have no idea where I'm going to get my next meal. Um, I have no idea how my kid is going to get through this sickness. Um, I have no idea, will I find enough firewood this week to be able to cook the food I need? Like, if, if I had to struggle every single day of my life to survive, I just don't know how I would, I don't know how I would do. And so it, it makes me think about these things and makes me wrestle about these things. And, um, a lot of times that's not, it's not really a positive thing in my life. And then there's other times when I just have to trust that that is their situation. The Lord gives them all that grace to deal with that. And that area of my life, it's just been a different experience than other people have. But that area of my life, it's a big issue for me. Just watching that. And I haven't been to Sudan, South Sudan for nine years, actually. Mm -hmm. And so I am looking at it from a distance. But yeah, just just trying to process through that whole thing. And that has definitely shaped who I am and my faith and all of that. And that is my big wrestling. I have a friend who lives overseas in, in a poor community. And we communicate regularly. And that's one of the themes that repetitively comes up as she talks is just, I don't know what to do with this constant interaction that I'm having with deep poverty mm-hmm. and I don't experience it myself. And I feel guilty about that at times. I'm not sure just all the things who is God in that place? Who is he to them? And mm-hmm. who is he to me? And I, I liked how you had that question. If you could go back in, it's that question of, of what do you think of God in the midst of this? Mm-hmm. And yeah. you would think there would probably be something very instructive, mm-hmm. you know, to learn. Yeah, it's interesting to have people's faith. Um, like I often think their faith is so much more real than mine. Mm-hmm. What does it look like in the midst of death and starvation and mm-hmm. all of the uncertainties? And even for those of us here who think we struggle or don't have as much as our neighbor or whatever, I mean, you're right. The people um, that we work with too are deeply, deeply impoverished and it is a daily struggle for life. Mm-hmm. My struggle, even prior to moving to Haiti, I always say it's really funny that God moved me there because I'm somebody who struggles with, wait, are you still good? Are we sure you're still good in the midst of this? And now I live in a country that um, I'm confronted with that daily in Mm -hmm. a different way in the midst of a dying baby. Is he still good? Mm -hmm. Um, Does his truth still stand when people starve, when gangs shoot people? And so I can say he's still good. And I can also say I'm thankful. It's not about how I feel about it every Mm day. Yeah. And that it's about his truth. I love hearing y'all's experiences of how God is at work across the globe. I have a couple of key memories from my youth of um, international missionaries being in my home, and those are just some of my very happiest memories. So I love hearing, even now, how you've experienced the Lord's work in these places that are very different than maybe our American experience. So thank Mm -hmm. you for sharing that. So tell us a little bit about how you knew the Lord's call to your current mission, and are there times when you're discouraged or doubting, and what, what brings you encouragement in those moments? I sort of sometimes wish we had this like amazing call. Here's what the Lord did, and here's what he told us to do, and we just knew. I will say I think that we always really were intentional about living missionally, even in the United States. We did not talk or expect to be going overseas. Um, We weren't against it. It just wasn't, you know, we didn't think, oh, this is what God has for our marriage, and we didn't know that. 
because we had been working with an organization that had a mission in Haiti um, at the time that it came that we really needed somebody on the ground and somebody said, hey, would you guys think about this? We were like, "Eh, yeah, sure. And we really clearly thought, well, if God doesn't want us to go, then he's going to close that door. And he didn't. And we raised support and the funds came in. And don't actually think like that time we doubted the call. The doubting came after we moved. Mm. You know, we sold things. We were headed off on this great adventure. Um, we went on a trip with our kids to make sure that they, you know, were up for it. And With little kids, right? Yes. But uh, admittedly, I mean, now when you ask them about that, one of my children said, uh, that was kind of uninformed consent. I oh, mean, wow. you know, they a week long trip to, to uh, you know, Haiti where, you know, it was fun for a week after mm-hmm. we moved. They, one of them said uh, uninformed consent. So oh, that's hilarious. Um, but, you know, our first... I, w- I would say our first 18 months were pretty devastating. Mm. Um, we felt like we were trying to be faithful and follow doors that God opened. And it, and then we got there and it really all fell apart. And things weren't what we thought. It wasn't what we expected. Um, and we were dealing, I mean, it was a lot of grief. Um, we, because in order to continue, we had to really come to terms with, we were a really big part of something really, really um, harmful to a community. Um, It it wasn't intentional. I don't think it ever is, but we had been supporting and been a part of something that had, I mean, I know families that have kids that grew up in an orphanage because the money that I raised or the work that I did put them there. And um, I know, and I now know their moms and dads and you can go back and you can try to fix some things, but you don't get years back of living in an orphanage away from your mom. You just don't. And, and, and I think it's hard when you, for years, think everything's going great, and then you show up and it's not. Um, it's hard not to think, what in the world did we do, right? I, I don't think it was us. I think we exposed a bigger problem. But at that moment, it certainly felt like we were the problem. If we could just not see these things or be quiet about it, um, we probably could have gone on for years the way that it was. I think for me, when I'm discouraged, I have to just preach the word to myself, the things that I know are true. I don't always feel it, but I think one verse that's been really comforting to me is we love to say, you know, take heart, I've overcome the world. But I love the first part because I tell you these things that in me you will have peace. Um, In this world you're going to struggle, but take heart. And so all of those things happening, the beginning of that verse is for me what's the most precious Um, because if I can keep and if I can keep remembering and preach to myself like it's okay this is what you signed up for it is to be expected then then I can take heart because Jesus has completed it it is the battle's won and I don't always like the battle here on earth but he's pretty clear like this is expected this is what I've asked you to do there is something particularly hmm, comforting doesn't seem like the right word but it's the only word that comes to my mind is that that God is not deceptive about that. He's not saying that was the, how did you phrase it that your child said when you took him to Haiti and that was like uninformed Uninformed consent? (laughs) Yeah, he's not into uninformed consent. You know, like he didn't draw us in saying, it's going to be wonderful and it's terrible. Just that you will have suffering. That doesn't mean that my will is not being worked out in you and in the world. It doesn't mean that I'm not sovereign. It doesn't mean that I'm not in control. I've chosen this right now. And I've um, brought you into that, knowing that that's going to be there, but knowing that you take heart, that I have overcome the world, that you are connected to me. So I do love in those struggle places to think, you know, Lord, you didn't tell me 
different. Mm-hmm. And that helps to not think I was duped. Yeah, yeah it does. And I, and I think in all of it, if you allow yourself to be with broken people in broken places, you also get to see redemption That's in right. ways that I think it's sad. And as hard as it can be, it's also really sad to me that if we isolate ourselves and surround ourselves with the things that we think are easy or the people that we think are easy or the situations, we can really miss things. God's moving. He's working. And, and I've been able, he's allowed us to see redemption in places that I don't think I would see if I, if I avoided, you know, the hard or the dark. I think too, what you're saying, I hear so much like our cultural context, like when we step outside of that and we see brokenness in a different way than we've known it, like it helps us get out of the numbness that we maybe have to our own brokenness and helps us see our own brokenness and mm-hmm. just wakes it up, wakes us up to the need of our own redemption. And I, th- I love how you said that um, in the brokenness, we get to see the redemption. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. Like if we are not engaging with that story and we're missing so much of the sweetness that we see of the Lord at work right now. Yeah. We're not duped into thinking we don't need redemption anymore because right. our lives look a particular way externally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, a lot gets stripped away, right? When you, I mean, it doesn't have to just be the mission field, but when you when you walk in hard places. Yeah, I love that. I think just what you're what what I relate to in that is just the it gets you out of your numbness and you're just getting through life until you die kind of vibe, and it gives you it just helps you engage with the reality of this world that God is with us, that He's come to make all things new, and that is the good news. So I think it really helps you just engage with the story that God has written on our hearts. Mm-hmm. What'd you think, Claire? I have a, I have a different story. I looking looking back now, I know I feel very confident that I am, I'm just hardwired to work in a church. That's just that's the way I was, um, and I had lots of good experiences growing up in church and being in, like my parents being involved, and then I served at camp and sort of this ministry in a church or from within a church, that was already on my radar. And when I was 18, I met a missionary. He was really old. He was a doctor. And he just looked at me and he said, what are you doing with your life? And so I told him, he's like, you go do that in Africa. Hmm. And that was my call. (laughs) And I was like, okay. Or command. Yeah. Yeah. That is very specific. It was very specific. And, and I, sorry to say this, I've, I've never doubted. I'm very comfortable with that. But also built into that is sort of this staying power, um, not because I was just so confident, but because I was actually running away from home. I did not want to go home. Everybody else was homesick. I was not. And I dreaded the thought of going home just because I came out of a very dysfunctional house. And so that was, in some ways, that was my staying power. Mm. And oddly enough, I came out of a very dysfunctional, I can say abusive, but I don't want to get into that situation. And oddly enough, God plunks me down in a refugee camp with a group of people that were believers and they just loved me. Mm. And that was why I could, I think I could stay there. There was this freedom to just, I was very young. I was 21 and um, 
just this freedom to develop into who I was through um, the different ministries that I was able to be a part of. I'm an ESL teacher, so I started doing that and then worked into different things. But I've 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 always just really enjoyed being out there. I mean, there is some very hard things, but I've never thought, oh, I need to go home. I'm done. I'm totally done. Or am I supposed to be doing this or what? Um, now that I have kids, I think that maybe there would be some choices where I'd be like, am I doing the right thing for them, with them, whatever. But I'm very happy with our family situation the way it is right now. They go to a great school. That's the main thing. And so that giant part of their life is very well taken care of. So I can, I have no regrets about that. No doubts that I'm doing the right thing on that. So I'm sorry, friends. I have not doubted. <laughs> we were talking about I don't like, think you should apologize okay. for that. Yeah, that's right. I just, yeah. I love but, that God's used that to be healing in your mm, life. Mm-hmm. Just what maybe would have been disruptive or um, discombobulating, I guess, is like been healing for you. It's mm. amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, And you love how he gives different types of staying power. You mm-hmm. know, and he gave, that was a hard thing to have in your life and to turn that into something that allowed you to stay with no doubts, you know, it was yeah. an unexpected yeah. way of using a really hard thing. Yeah. And, but she did say, you know, there are doubts you have just about how life works out and who God is mm-hmm. and some of yes. the things you mentioned before, but yeah. it's nice not to, to have to question, should I, should I be here? Mm-hmm. But it leads us into the next question, which is just how is life? So you're 21 refugee camp. How has your, and you've been in Africa the whole time. Tell us a little bit about how life has evolved, ministry has evolved, Mm -hmm. and what it looks like now, you mentioned, as a mama of two boys. There was, I think it was during COVID, I was like vacuuming my living room, and I was like, how did I get here? I have a house full of furniture. I used to crash around in the outback of farthest nowhere, and um, on quad bikes, and doing all this crazy stuff, and now I'm like, now I'm vacuuming my carpet. (laughs) And I own a carpet. Like it's just it's just really weird. But I think too is that missionary life in the way that it has been, it is is very strange. You go somewhere for like three years, and then you completely leave your life. You walk away from your life for six months, and you take it somewhere else, and you go and tell everybody about it for a while, and then you go back. So it ends up my life has been some very distinct seasons because mm-hmm. it's like uh, this and then I went on home assignment and then I came back and did this and then I went on home assignment it's, it's so strange mm-hmm. to just completely walk away from your life and at times it's wonderful because you can really take a good look at it from the outside so it, it creates these seasons so my life has been very distinct seasons so there was this life of being single and what I did and then there was and then we got married um, I met my husband out there and we got married, and then there's and then the season of having kids, and and what that looks like now. And so my life has been like sort of focused on in a, in bigger communities, sort of focused on uh, sort of larger groups of people, like my students or the youth group. So I would be working with um a, like a hundred students. Um, teaching them in school, or then I was working with a large youth group, and then worked in a girls' education program, and 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 so there was these sort of large groups of people that I was part of, and now my world focuses around two. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's two different. Little people, 
90% of my energy goes into taking care of, of them. And it's good. I'm enjoying being mom. I'm an older mom for you older moms out there. I'm an older mom. I had my first when I was 40 and my second when I was 42. But yeah, just taking this time to just really focus on them and and it's interesting. And I still have, I'm getting back into ministry now. So I, I do have my groups that I'm working with. But yeah, just focusing on them. Yeah, and, and oddly enough, even though I came from this dysfunctional family background, working in church is like the only highlights that I have of that special time. And so now um, Toru, my husband, he leads worship at church and I'm very involved in Sunday school and, and we've got these kids and they are seeing us just being involved in church and they'll complain because we have to go there like 45 minutes early, but they, they, they love it when they get there, they just bring a soccer ball. But uh, yeah, just, just wondering what, what they are going to look at as they look back on this part of their life. We're doing Tor and I are, he's helping me with the Sunday school project. We decided to do, um, we're studying the tabernacle in Sunday school and we decided to like make everything that was in the tabernacle. And so our living room and dining room was just full of like the hot glue gun and the cardboard boxes and everything. And my oldest looked at me, he's like, do other families do this kind of thing? And I'm like, <laughs> no, we're just weird. It's just weird. And so just, just trying to do my best as a mom to raise them up. So they are, they turn into what, what responsible, nice human beings, <laughs> hopefully love the Lord all their lives, but can look back on their childhood and say, yeah, that was, yeah, that was my life. And it's good. Well, I laughed when you were talking about nice, responsible human beings, because as mamas, we all think, can that happen? You know, yeah. and we're, we're sort of joking, but I love hearing your description of what it was like to go through what we might categorizes super adventurous ministry you mm -hmm. know these large groups of people living in the middle of nowhere doing these things that who does that you know mm -hmm. and we could look at that and think well how amazing is that christian faith right and to have fully appreciated and embraced the fact that the lord took you there and did wonderful things with that and then to narrow it down to those two little people mm -hmm. vacuuming your carpet in a house that has furniture and you think how did you get here and seeing the beauty of that as well mm -hmm. i just think it's so important for us to understand that both are glorious. Mm -hmm. And so I loved hearing you paint both of those pictures. Julie, tell us a little bit then what life has looked like with Moses. I mean, you talked a little bit about his diagnosis and that y'all are in the process of adopting him, but how has his entrance into your family shaped y'all's family and your ministry? So I have a brother with some pretty significant special needs. And so taking Moses into our home um, at that moment, the first moment was really natural. Um, I drove to the orphanage. I'd gotten the call. There was some things lost in translation. And they said, we have a baby who's going to pass. And I was like, mm. baby's dying. What are we doing? So I drove over and he was laying on the cement floor um, and people wouldn't touch him. Often in Haiti, um, special needs are viewed as some sort of curse. It's just a misunderstanding and lack of education. Moses has a bright blue eye, and so that just makes it him a little bit more scary to people. And So he wasn't being touched, and he was pretty sick. Um, he was left in a box outside the hospital. He was abandoned, and um, he probably weighed, he weighed under nine pounds, and they estimate he was about a year old. So he's pretty malnourished. He clearly spent a lot of time with um, a voodoo doctor trying to fix him or get the curse off of him. And so I took him home. I drove him home, driving a stick shift over bumpy roads on my lap. And I remember thinking, I'm not doing this. Like, this is 
this is a short time mm. because because I did know the cost a little bit. I have a brother who has pretty significant special needs, and I knew that it would change our life forever. Um, and and honestly, it was my husband and our and kids that said they they wanted to keep him. Everybody else that knew us would say mm. they knew the second I came home with him that he was going to stay in our family. Mm. But for me, I was. I mean, I I knew that he would do better in a family, so I either wanted to um, foster him until adoptive parents were found or find adoptive parents for him. We were fairly new in Haiti, and so we didn't have all the information that we have now, and the orphanages that we did call wouldn't take him or couldn't take him. And then at the point at which we found some that would, we thought this isn't the best place for a child. He'd do better in a home. But my kids and my husband all along the way would say, we're keeping him right. We're not leaving Haiti without Moses. But I knew things they didn't know. I knew mm. that family vacations would look different. I knew mm. that even being in public is often disrupted mm. by him. And even little things. I knew that I now have teenagers that ride bikes and Moses can't. So I knew that we would be making choices of who does what and what does it look like. I think that in lots of ways, Moses is the loudest piece of ministry, though, that we've ever done. And our kids would say that, too. People see his value. They love him in our community. Certainly not everywhere. But he brings a lot of heartache, but also joy to life. He's pretty great. And he's real pain in my butt. (laughs) I wasn't, you know, it's not what I wanted to do necessarily. And I wouldn't change it. And it's that weird place that you live of um, it's hard and it's really good. Because we do family-based ministry, I think it was really loud to our community that we would take in a child that is generally seen as worthless and has no value. And people see his value. I have a staff member that would help watch him. And um, she said to me, he's really, really smart. And it really was amazing because he is really smart. And uh, and she said, lots of people don't know this. And, and she would like to be able to get moms together that have kids with special needs so that um, they can support each other and they can encourage each other because it's 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 hard to be a mom of a child with special needs in the United States and it is a lot harder in a place like Katie where there's mm. no resources and then broadly you're viewed a certain way so he has changed our life for sure we will mm. never be the same and yet it's okay I wish people could see you you might be glad that they can't because nobody necessarily likes to talk and cry at the same time but it just shows such tenderness and I didn't I knew of you but you and I hadn't actually met and so when I was waiting for you to come to the podcast I walked by a car and I thought I think that's her but I'm not totally positive so I kind of kept walking and stepped like 10 feet out and you got out of the car and you went to the back seat to say goodbye to Moses and I couldn't even totally see Moses I know who Moses is and what he looks like but I could hear just the words you were saying and just the love that you were communicating I was like oh that's her. And I think when you say, you know, you could say, all right, we do this ministry because we believe this about God, which is true. We do because that's the whole empowerment of the whole thing. But what's beautiful about it is not, I'm going to make a point, but I'm going to do this because I believe it is true and it's beautiful and it's super hard at the same time. And it's not really about me. You know, it's not about what I'm doing or what I'm not doing. It's about the value of this beautiful life and the hardship that goes with that though. And just to see you being willing to express both but tears is sweet, so thank you. 
I loved hearing both of y'all talk about your callings within the calling, like this big calling that you have abroad, but also like you're calling us mom, you're calling up as wife. So talk to us a little bit about the particular joys and hardships that you have, maybe specifically serving on the mission fields. What does that look like? I think that I am the hardest part of my marriage. <laughs> Resonates. I have a very stable and uh, just not very up and down, unshakable husband and and he he walks me through a lot of my emotional turmoil mostly to do with what is happening around me not because of what's in my life with the church with what's happening um, sometimes on our team when I was in my mid-30s just after we got married I ran out of gen- I'm genetically designed to run out of serotonin the bottom fellow and I ended up on uh, uh, antidepressants and and counseling for a year and I am still on antidepressants I will have to be on those for the rest of my life but so he's he's walked me through that he's walked me through just last couple of years had this unfortunate bout of anxiety attacks and he walks me through all of that and um so yes so I am the hardest part of our marriage and I am really grateful that he has just walked through that with me and continues to whatever is going to whatever's going to come. There was a there was a season in life where he was he was deputy director for our team for a long time, uh for 10 years, and there was a season where it was very busy. We had a baby and a toddler and I just felt like the two of us were not giving each other our best. We couldn't even give good. Like we just had we were just giving each other what we had left over at the end of the day, and I didn't like that. And I didn't I wasn't necessarily coming out on him but I just started as a resentment of what he was doing was creeping into my life like he took it upon himself to write a devotion for our team for every Monday and on Sunday nights he would be like trying to finish it off and where and I just needed him to just spend a little bit more time with the kids so I could do something and he didn't have time for that because and so I actually started resenting sermons and devotions which is what he, you know, felt like he needed to do and what our team appreciated. But I was like, no, I can't do this anymore. And so he was getting close to the end of his second five-year term. And I was like, we have got to do something different. And there was a lot of about what he was doing that he was really good at and a lot that was really life draining out of it. And so I'm really grateful. He went out on a limb and, and made a switch in ministry, uh, left admin and joined um, the East Africa communications team. So now he writes and he works from home. There's a lot less stress. He's got more time for the kids. And and I just feel like we are now in a place where we have enough margin to give each other more than just what is left over. Mm. And I'm really grateful for that. And he really helps me. There's a lot that I do that I need his help for. And he really helps me do that. And so we don't actually work together, but we support what each other does. So I will edit things that he writes and he does technical and IT stuff for when I need help for that. And so, yeah, we're a, we're a good team. We, we don't work together. I don't think it would be good for us to actually work together. That wouldn't work. Just to be able to support each other for what we do, that is... We're in a good place right now. Yeah. What a gift that yeah. the Lord is giving you a partner mm-hmm. and a friend and a companion mm-hmm. to yeah. encourage and support you and you him. Mm-hmm. So that is a, an amazing gift. I love yeah. that. What about you, Julie? 
mean, we are that couple that work together, which is hard and great. I think for us, it's been good because like the places that I would be annoyed in my marriage or in my home, I can see how some of those things are gifts in our work life. And so, yeah, like working has made me have have to be a grown up maybe in places in my marriage that I don't have to be. I like that. That's an interesting way to look at it. Well, I mean, we have a job and we do work together and we have these moments where I'll say, okay, can we have this conversation as coworkers? Because you can't take all of the relationship out of it, but it it did force me to see like, wow, that's a real gift. Hmm. It's a really annoying thing at my house maybe or in my marriage, but I can see it relationally as a gift. I think it's sad to me. I think a lot of missionaries really struggle on the field and I'm thankful that we haven't. There's ways in which I'm like, this is our jam. I function well in a crisis. Haiti is a lot of crisis all the time. You know, we got to help build and create and rethink the ministry in which we serve. And so there's ways in which it's the best of us. It's probably the worst of us too. And so we get to work and do the things that we know we're gifted at. Yeah, I mean, it's for us, it's been a good thing. I miss it. Being here... I'm doing some more admin stuff, and Luke's actually helping out with Moses a lot, and our life is, and I said, we, we long for those days. We That was a good place for us to work together. Um, not always. We're pretty ugly to each other sometimes, and he's he's a counselor, so I say, don't be a counselor to me, and <laughs> he's super relationally gifted, and I'm the one that's like, well, we need policies, and we need a procedure for this, and I'd like to change this, and we're very different people, and it works where, yeah. in this moment where yeah. God's put us, so we're thankful for that. That's great. And yes, I hear you saying like you're bringing different gifts to the table and also just the fact that you can be husband and wife, but also co-workers. I think it is such a unique experience, too, that your kids are watching you guys work together, not just work together as husband and wife, but also they're you know, all are working together on a specific mission that you've been called into. You know, when you're with your family all the time, all the time, they see the best of you and the worst of you. Oh, yeah. They see all the good and all the bad. Oh, yeah. Thank you so much for being with us today, Claire and Julie, and sharing so much of your lives with us and what it looks like to be on mission for the Lord in another country. It's a gift to hear from you both. Listeners, we hope you will join us again next week. Let us keep you company while you're doing the dishes or taking a drive. Catherine Edmonds and Sarah Westmoreland will be joining us to talk about John chapter 12. We hope you will listen in. Sometimes a light surprises the Christian wife she sees It is the Lord who rises With healing in His wings When comforts are declining He grants the soul again A season of clear shining To cheer it after the rain 